I know I'm really early. But if this is anything like I've seemingly cultivated it to be in the past nine years, uh, it's a version of therapy, I suppose. For me, at least. Exclusively. And I'm kind of struggling. So I need a little bit of nine cents. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is September 6th, and as of today, we have 27,115,591 worldwide cases of COVID-19, with 884,602 deaths. And I've got a great show for you this week, if you love introspection. If you don't... You might as well step out. <laughs> this is not the show for you. These are not the droids you are looking for. Uh, uh, be the strange you wish to see in the world. I went to some Halloween stores this weekend. I know it's early. But they're open. And I wanted to. So I went. And you know what I figured out? I am absolutely in all measures the happiest I've been in months inside of a Halloween store. I can't pretend to explain it. I don't fully understand it myself. All I know is that I walk in and I feel fucking great. And I walk out and the weight just fucking piles back on. Uh, thanks for joining early in the chat. I know it is early, and I apologize for that. Valeria, great to see you, hon. Thanks for joining. Kate, it's good to see you again as well. <laughs> Dog, how you doing? Sean, what's up, man? 114 degrees. Sweet fucking hell. <laughs> That's not right. That's just not right. Uh, Gary, good to see you. Thanks for joining, man. Aaron, how are you, my dear? Good to see you. Angle, it's been a little bit. And anyone else who joins in after the fact, Behemoth, good to see you, man. Uh, thanks for joining. It's nine cents, so we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to break the show down into three segments, right? The Devil's Advocate. We're going to be talking about who are you? I'm not talking about the who. I'm talking about you. And 
The Infernal Informant, nearly all Black Lives Matter protests are peaceful, despite Trump narrative report finds. Interesting. And the second article we'll dive in in that segment is Trump targets federal agencies' anti-racism training as anti-American. And you may be surprised that I don't entirely disagree with that. <laughs> or you may not. In the Creature Feature, we're going to close about the point you see me break down <laughs> with David Bowie's album, Black Star. I've mentioned it a few times in different contexts, but I've never actually talked about it. I'm going to talk about it uh, throughout the course of this. I've got a butterscotch candy in my mouth, so I apologize if you can <laughs> hear me slurping on it or it's clicking. I didn't realize it was still there in my head uh, as I hit the live button, but I thought I'll go with it anyway. So here we are. All right. Uh, I was I was planning on camping this weekend. I don't know how much I want to go into this because I do. I I think this is this is a better experience to discuss in you mean the devil makes three than it is in this context of this podcast specifically. Um, and so I'm just going to sort of dance around it, but it was an important part of my week, which is why I want to bring it up. Uh, I was once again forced to recognize <laughs> that our children are not us. <laughs> we, their choices are not our choices. And as much as we try to set them up for what we believe is going to be the best case scenario, I think as a parent, that is the best case scenario. Um, you will inevitably realize that your best case scenario or those things that you find are important are not to your kids and you're forced once again as with a parent every single fucking time with kids um it's to recognize that they're individuals that are wholly separate from you even though they came from you and that can be frustrating and that can hurt it can make you go fucking mad can also ruin your fucking weekends. That's what happened this weekend. So. I didn't go camping. Which, okay. You know, big fucking deal. You didn't go camping. But that was like my out. That was my out. I wanted to get away. Connect with friends in the wilderness. Get in the mountains and just breathe. Without worrying about the fucking smog and the fucking city and the fucking madness of other people. I couldn't get away. All right, well, there's always other chances. Um, we're going to be probably going long in this because this next segment, the first segment, The Devil's Advocate, is probably going to go a little bit long. So let's just dive into it right away. We've got a lot to talk about. The Devil's Advocate. Alright, as usual, I'm going to throw up an image here. If I can figure out how the hell to do this again. 
every time, man. It's just a struggle every damn time. I right, so this is just some amorphous looking inward <laughs> style image. I don't know why that zoomed me in. That was weird. All right. Who are you? I had a conversation in an On the Rocks episode on Friday with um, Orlock Vanderpool, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Brought up some uh, interactions between what it means to be an individual. And because this entire format of a show is based around the idea of Satanists understanding who they are in order to then engage and exercise their will on the world, I thought it was apropos to discuss what that means in the show, right? Who are you as an individual? Who are you as a Satanist? Um... I'm kind of obsessed with storytelling. The idea of sitting around a campfire and just weaving a narrative, right? Uh, whether it's a formal novel or a film, one thing that you're going to always find is a character arc. A character starts in a position, goes through experiences, and ends up in B position, right? They go through a change. They evolve in some way. This is what good stories do. And so when examining the idea of what it means, who are you, how do you define who you are, I think it's important to examine your arc, the character arc that you've gone through in life. And this is something that we've all gone through. It depends on how micro or macro you want to examine the experiences in life that have shaped your outlook but we've all had a story arc in some way that ultimately puts us where we are right now, hence defines who we are in this moment. And I want to stress that idea, who we are in this moment, because on the grand scheme of things in the moment that you're watching this may not be the totality of a person you become, right? You may be at the beginning of your arc, the middle of your arc, or the end of your arc, or somewhere in between. My point is is we are an ever-changing animal. We are informed by not only our life experiences and choices that we make throughout those life experiences, which are incredibly important, but our foundation is built upon things that we have no control over. Who you're born to, where you're born, the culture that you're born into, the gender, your sexual preferences, things that you have no control over, that you're just put down in a fucking crib, I guess in the best of cases, and said, go. And from there, you begin to make choices. You begin to interact with your environments. You begin to learn and evolve as a human animal, right? So we start at A and we end at B, wherever your B may be. I do honestly believe that individuals they change and they evolve we are not finite creatures we we do not have a, a a destiny that is set in stone that we must then ultimately achieve i believe we set our own goals and whatever those goals may be sometimes we make them and sometimes we simply can't uh, sometimes because we're just not good enough 
and sometimes because other external factors got in the way and just made it impossible. But my point of all of this is ultimately to understand that who you are in your moment right now does not mean that that is who you will end up being wherever your story ends in life, right? And as Satanists, I think it's really important not to focus on where you came from or where you're going as much as who you are in the moment. Because that in the moment individual informs where you're going. The attention that you pay on what you're doing right now is going to inform where you go and where you can go. And that's why I think it's so important to set goals, to look into the future for what you want, and then allow your decisions in the moment to guide you. And what you're going to find in most cases, in my own personal experience, is that you don't end up always where you think you want to end up. But we always have to remember that this idea of chasing this fantasy of ultimate happiness or th this utopia of existence, those aren't real life. Those are fairy tales. Love is fleeting. It's, it's an emotion that floods your senses and is crazy important, as, with, as are every other emotion that you experience in life, right? But you need to yearn, you need to look, you need to act beyond those momentary experiences for a long term. Now, sometimes that means that you're going to hold a relationship for a very long time and feel a combined connection with someone. And sometimes that means that you're not going to feel a combined connection with anyone over a few moments. <laughs> but ultimately, your who you are to be, your is to be, is still developing and it is still evolving. And what you want in the moment is not necessarily what you're gonna want in the next moment, nor what's necessarily good for you. And so how do you determine ultimately what is good for you? What it is that you think is a good end point for your fucking narrative in life, right? How do you recognize who you are in the moment in order to then manipulate the world around you effectively to get what you end up wanting in the long term. And I think one really important factor of all of this that we have to consider is that success is not the best result of every outcome. This is not a new idea, and if it's foreign to you, bear with me for just a moment. If you listen to any successful individual in life, they're not going to talk about their momentary successes. They're going to talk about their repeated failures and what they learned from those failures. So I don't look at my life in a series of rapid successive successes. I look at my life as a period of moments of struggle, pain, and endurance, and those moments have informed my continued push that led me to my successes. So the struggle makes the individual, not the easy ride of successes making the individual. That's an important point to take, take into consideration as you're moving forward, right? So if life is our character arc, we need to recognize that not all of our arcs 
or I should say, uh, we're going to have more than one arc in most cases. That, again, we evolve and change. So you were someone, you had a sense of self in some capacity, whether it was an external presentation or an internal representation. I just noticed some drops in frame rates, and I'm going to try to resolve that. Um, so as you continue to move through life, you realize that there are new nuances to yourself that you didn't necessarily know before. You're going to be faced with new challenges that you didn't expect to face before. And you're going to feel overwhelmed in most of the cases. And you're going to fail a lot. But that is going to help you understand who you are. When I was uh, in kindergarten, very young, but again, this sort of purist element of, of my mentality, right? My reactionary experience. A friend of mine was being bullied by an older kid. So I stepped in and I attacked the older kid and I beat him up. This was a narrative that my mom spun to me my entire life. Adam, this is who you are. She shared that story with my own son when he was older. And he just looked at her and said, that's not who I am. In that moment, it was this blind reality that I faced. And for the first time, and maybe I was too old to be experiencing it. But what I felt was important, standing up for my friends, without regard to my own safety, was not what my own son would have done. Was not what was important to him. That things that I hold dear to the core of who I am are not important to other people. And yeah, I was a little bit old to learn that fucking lesson. But it hit home in a big fucking way. I realized that not only are we dramatically different in life, right? What defines us as individuals, what we put emphasis on in life. But because we put emphasis on something doesn't mean we're better or worse than those who put emphasis on other things. It just means we're different. And our own experience is what's important in life. That's all we've got. It forced me to have something called perspective. And when you see it in your own kid, it's all the more resonant, right? And so I started examining what are the experiences in life that crafted who I am? What is it that made me? And I'm not going to go through this litany of, of, of personal experiences because this isn't about me. This is about you, right? Who are you? What are the experiences that made you? Where did you fail? Where did you feel embarrassed? Where did you show your ass and you just felt so fucking stupid for doing it? But you still woke up and you still went about your next day the next day and you learned something from that failure, from that embarrassment, from that shame. These are the moments that are really important. And these are the touchstone moments that are going to help you realize who you actually are as an individual. So then you have to examine, do you actually have a role in your own life? If you don't choose who you were born to, 
where you were born, what culture you were born into. If your informative years are outside of your active control, and our sort of world society, as it were, our world culture says after X age, you are now grown, now you can make your own choices within the bounds of whatever society you live in. Do you actually have an active role in your life? Yeah, yeah, you do. You may live in Syria, you may live in Saudi Arabia and be restrained dramatically. I have audience members in these regions that have reached out to me. I know you are there. I know you have to hide who and what you are as Satanists from everyone you know, from your city, your government, from your family in some cases. But you know inside who you want to be, what moves you, what motivates you, what inspires you. And that's something that's special enough that you're willing to keep your mouth shut about it to other people. You're willing to keep it inside of you under pressure and let it grow from this raw piece of coal of understanding to this honed diamond of intention. It doesn't matter whether or not you have absolute control over your life. Because none of us actually do. Some of us have more control than others. But no one has absolute control over their lives. And if you can understand that, if you can accept that reality, then what you do have control over is all the more meaningful. And it allows you to exercise that control all the more powerfully. But sometimes you find yourself in positions where you don't really have control, where you just have to suffer, or you have to adjust so that those you care about can then be in a better position according to you. Now, that could be take the form of, of, of I've got a friend who pretty much gave up his entire independence to take care of his mother who was suffering through cancer for years. And he just lived at home, taking care of his mom. He put his entire life on hold. Now, yes, he could have made a choice to leave and pursue whatever goals he had as an individual. But he made a choice. And that choice was that his life was less important than that of his mother's for that amount of time and I see nothing but greatness in that choice there are people uh, I've had a correspondence in one of the shows um, where they said that they were physically sexually abused by both of their parents their entire life and how dare I talk about choice and control we don't always get a choice in every aspect of our life. And you have to suffer sometimes. Not because there's some grand idea about you deserve it, or this is just a hand that you were dealt, so suffer through it. But because the random chaos of life in your particular instance puts you in that time and place of just pain and torture, and horrendous suffering. 
but you make the choice once you've made it through that, if you made it through that. You can complain to me about it, or you can decide to move beyond it. And I'm not trying to suggest there's any simple steps that anyone needs to take. I'm not trying to suggest that anyone has any answers. I'm saying in those particular horrendous cases, seek some fucking therapy. But you have choices. And it's important to understand that the choices you make may have positive outcomes and may have negative outcomes. But the fact is you made it. This is tough because this is on the back of the example that I just gave. In that example, no one had a fucking choice. It was just a horrendous situation for this person to be in. Um, but in life in general, once you grow up, you have a choice to leave. You have a choice to commit horrendous acts upon these people that made you suffer. You have a choice to just move beyond it or seek help. You have choices, and those choices have consequences or reactions. It's the choices that make us who we are. Sometimes your life, you find yourself in a situation where you have children, and maybe you didn't plan it. But maybe you make the decision to keep them. Now you are in a role of a parent, and you don't know where you fit into that role except to make sure that this child grows up in the best possible way that it can. So you put yourself on hold. You just hit the pause button. And as soon as they come of age and you have air to explore who you are again, you hit the pause button again and you move about your life. Sometimes you have to put your choices on hold for what you find important in life. And maybe you discover that there was no pause button in the first place. That you choosing something that diverted from the path you were planning on exploring wasn't ultimately a diversion but something that enriched your human experience, that added value, context to how you perceive the world. Can we craft a version of ourselves that we can be happy with? Uh, I struggle with this idea on whether or not we can, because I know that there's people with chemical imbalances that are incapable of this. And so I have to say, not in every case, not everyone can. It's just the reality. Sometimes you, you exist in a specific region, in a specific time, in, and you just have to exist in that. But for most of us right now, we're in a time when we can actually make a choice about our own lives and what makes us happy. We get to choose who we are and how we engage the world. And some infantile people are going to decide that, hey, let's just make the whole world burn because of whatever injustice we've suffered or perceived to have suffered. And some of us are gonna say, well, maybe I shouldn't focus on the world. Maybe I should just focus on me. And we seek our own versions of happiness, whatever they may be. But for the most cases, now, in our world right now, I do think that we can craft a version of ourselves that can make us happy. Again, there's not this ultimate happiness utopia that we're going to live in all the ways being happy, all the times. 
take your wins when you can take them, right? Enjoy them. You're going to get hit. That's life. But you'll find successes if you seek them, if you work for them, right? And so ultimately, when I try to round out a conversation like this to Satanism, ultimately when I think about the individual, I think of lesser magic, how they engage and manipulate the greater world at large around them. Um, and so I ask myself, is knowing yourself in the moment, knowing that you may not be at the final realization of what you want to be, you may not be at the end of your story arc, whichever story arc you may be on in life, in this moment, is that good enough for you to know who you are, where you are, in order to be successful in lesser magic? And I would say, if you're able to ask yourself that question, then yeah, you're in a pretty good, <laughs> good motherfucking place, if we're being honest. Introspection is an important part of understanding you as an individual, how the experiences you've had in life inform who you see yourself as in the moment and where you want to go in the future. But if you want to craft a world around you through lesser magic, you need to know, of course, about those you want to manipulate, but who you are right now to understand what you're able to do. And so through a little bit of introspection, you're going to not just understand where you are, you're going to understand that you're not where you're ultimately going to be. And that's really important too, because you're going to learn your weaknesses. And yeah, we've all got them. We're ripe with them. We're human. <laughs> but we have to work within those, right? Within those boundaries that just fucking reality set for us. We didn't choose to have these weaknesses that we have. We didn't choose the chemical composition of our body or the experiences that may have wounded us or physiologically changed us before we had a choice in the matter. But we do have a choice in whether or not we can recognize those moments, recognize where we are and what we're capable of, and use those to our advantages. See, as a designer, it's easier for me to craft a successful brand or a successful campaign with parameters, understanding what the limits are to this client without knowing what those limits are and just throwing everything in the air and, and just being able to do whatever I want. It's actually a lot harder. So knowing what my limits are, what I'm poor at actually makes it easier for me to focus and be able to engage other people and to manipulate them through lesser magic. You can't do that without introspection, but that can go too far. You can spend so much time obsessing over yourself and where you are and where you want to be and where you've come from and the experience that you've had that you just find yourself trapped. And it's important to be able to get outside of your own head. Just visit every once in a while. <laughs> you know, like your parents on the holidays. Spend some time, do some digging, remember why you don't stay there too often, and get the fuck out. So I look at it. And ultimately, I think the most important part for an individual Satanist in knowing who you are is just to keep moving forward. 
as you're examining yourself, knowing that you're never going to be that fully realized superhuman that you are striving for, and that's okay. Because you're dealing in the best way with the tools that you have in the moment to help define who you are, knowing that this may not be the final arc you experience in life. And there be maybe many more adventures down the road, many more experiences to be had, and events that are going to shift your perspectives and change who you are and change your goals. But that's the excitement of life and existence. It's not knowing. We can't predict. We can react. We can plan and we can react. And there's something genuinely thrilling about that. Knowing that we're never going to reach a pinnacle of who you can personally be, you will always be struggling and fighting. You'll always be trying to overcome an obstacle. That is what makes you human. And that is what makes you who you are, how you engage in those moments. So if there is a way of, of trying to wrap this whole conversation and try to define who you are, I would say you're defined by the choices you make and the experiences you've had. It's not who you're going to be. It's who you are. And know that you may end up worse. But with a little bit of exploration and intention, you're probably going to end up a lot better. But it's at least worth a little bit of effort, this life, right? It's at least worth a little bit of struggle. Because this is it. All right, what do you guys have here? It's difficult to concept, a difficult concept to articulate. Uh, your vision of your future, or what is to come. All right, now I got to look up what... Daniel said, I was looking for an explanation of is to be, but as a non-English person, I don't quite understand the definition. So an is to be uh, in the context of greater or lesser magic is the goals that you set out. That is your is to be, right? So when I was a younger man, my is to be was to be a graphic designer at an advertising agency. And I did that. And then my is-to-be was to be a father and to be a good husband. I'm struggling with one of those, but I'm trying. <laughs> it's easy to be a, a father. You just fucking plant the seed. Uh, it, it's harder to be a good at it <laughs> or a good husband. Um, but again, yeah, Silly Swastika puts it out there. Those choices that you make in order to fully realize your goals is the is-to-be. Um, adapting and adjusting, like we're talking about, um, being something that you can drive you crazy, uh, glimpse subjective, objectively is difficult. Let's see. Oh, so Jordan has a good one. No one chose to exist, but you can choose how you exist. I like that. Um... All right, Kate says, real Bioshock, two philosophy hours. <laughs> we make our choices, but in the end, our choices make us. Yeah, nice. I like that. Maybe you should have done the segment. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I know these are abstract ideas and people get all frustrated because, you know, you want, as human beings, I think it's natural for us to want like, oh, well, the answer is A, you know, or the answer is C. You want like a definitive, resolutive, like uh, an answer that has some sort of emotional conclusion, some catharsis that you can feel good about. When it comes to you, who you are, I don't think that exists. And that frustration, that tension, I think that's great. I think that's important. That's energy you can tap into. That's how I see it. All right. Thank you guys so much. Let's do a little Infernal Informant. throw this image up and we are going to get into it <laughs> where's my image there it is all right this is from the guardian nearly all black lives matter protests are peaceful despite trump narrative report finds the vast majority of the thousands of black lives matter protests this summer have been peaceful with more than 93% involving no serious harm to people or damage to property. According to a new report tracking political violence in the United States. But the U S government has taken a heavy handed approach to the demonstrations with authorities using force more often than not when they are present, the report found. And there has been a troubling trend of violence and armed intimidation by individual actors, including dozens of car ramming attacks targeting demonstrators across the country. Guess which side of the spectrum they're on. The organization launched a new U.S. crisis monitor project this year concerning uh, concerned that the U.S. is at heightened risk of political violence and instability going into the 2020 general election. The results of the study present a stark contrast to claims made by the Trump administration and widely circulated by Fox News and other right-wing media outlets that the U.S. is being overrun by violent left-wing protesters and domestic terrorists. Between late May and the end of August, ACLED and Princeton researchers documented 7,750 demonstrations associated with the Black Lives Matter movement in more than 20, or I'm sorry, 2,000 different locations across the United States, as well as more than 1,000 protests related to COVID-19. About a third of the COVID-19 protests were linked to schools reopening, the report found, and all of them peaceful. There were also at least 70 documented protests over COVID-19 involving healthcare workers and at least 37 demonstrations focused on eviction crisis. Government authorities were more likely to intervene in Black Lives Matter protests than in any other demonstration, and also more likely to intervene with force, like using tear gas, rubber bullets, and pepper spray, or beating uh, demonstrators with batons, the researchers found. They documented 392 incidents this summer in which government authorities used Black Lives Matter demonstrators. 
Journalists covering Black Lives Matter protests were also met with violence from government forces in at least 100 separate incidents across dozens of states this summer. Journalists. So much for freedom of the press. Violent intervention from government forces did not make protests more peaceful, the report concluded. In Portland specifically, the report found that intervention from federal authorities in the protest only aggravated unrest, with the number of violent demonstrations rising from 53% to nearly 62% of all events after federal agents arrived on the scene. Armed individuals were documented at at least 50 protests this summer. Individual perpetrators, sometimes linked to hate groups like the KKK, have launched dozens of car ramming attacks targeting demonstrations around the country, the researchers wrote. So this actually follows in line with what Homeland Security put out a couple years ago, that terrorism in America is from white, right-wing Americans in the form of militias, hate groups, and institutional forces. So this whole narrative that's out there right now, that if X person or Y person wins the presidency, there's going to be violence in the street. What do you think is happening right now? And do you think that dragging in the National Guard, dragging in federal agencies helps quell peaceful demonstrations, which is an obscure idea in the first place, no, it makes things violent and it makes situations worse. So you can kind of understand why some mayors around certain regions of this country have decided not to put police on the street and allowed protesters to exercise their will. Now, I don't agree with all of the ways that those small, tiny little groups of protesters who result to violence, uh, um, uh, rioting, uh, I'm sorry, uh, looting, uh, thievery and stuff. I don't agree with those situations, and I think they should actually be prosecuted accordingly. But you can understand why leaders of regions would want to remove the authorities because they only aggravate the situation. You let someone vent, and they're done. You put someone in their way, and they battle. That's just fucking reality. That's just what happens. And we've seen it around the country, and we've seen it over and over again. Uh, it's, it's a difficult concept to work your head around when you think that everyone is trying to steal and uh, uh, loot and uh, destroy buildings. But if that's what you think, you're buying into a lie. You're buying into a false narrative. I had um, uh, someone who I've recently brought this up in a previous show where for their entire lives, 
they and I have seen pretty much eye to eye sociopolitically. But just recently, they've started really going hardcore conservative and right wing. And it's because of all the violence that's happening in all the cities all around the country. And what they don't realize is that that's not a real narrative. Yes, there are a handful of cities that are at fucking war right now. And there's a lot of reasons why those happen. But that is not the majority. That is not even a plurality. That is a minority of situations, a very small percentage of situations. And if you're judging your decision-making on the abnormal and not the normal, then you are always going to be in the wrong. In every situation, period. You're not stepping out of sight of yourself. You're just believing whatever the media shoves in your head or whatever fucking headline that you don't actually explore the link behind in order to inform your worldview. You are believing the lies that are being sold to you. Black Lives Matter is about stopping systemic murder from an organization that is meant to serve and protect. That's it. It's not about forcing you into communism or socialism. It's not about making you suck dick if you're a man and you don't want to do that. It's not about turning you into something that you're not. It has nothing to do with you in most fucking cases. This is how satanic panic gets out there. People see their lives changing because they're being fed lies and they start reacting in obscure and insane ways, believing insane theories and conspiracies. It's not reality. And you can make a choice to accept reality or not. And if you continue down the road of irrationality and believing lies, you have no one to blame but yourself for the choices you make in life. And you will suffer the consequences of those. Just like you're suffering through them right now. And I would like to remind everyone that as much fear that is being pushed out there for whomever may be in office next, it's ignoring the mass hysteria that's in those small group of cities right now. There will be violence in the cities, in the streets, if X or Y gets into office. What about the violence in the cities now? Let's just ignore that fact, right? I get so frustrated when I continue hearing these bullshit lines like Republicans believe in law and order and they believe in small government. Meanwhile, Republicans are shutting down the press. They're demonizing the press. They're trying to invade every choice you make in life. You cannot fuck him. You cannot abort that. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. How is that small government? How is that freedom of independent choice? Oh no, but Republicans are great in, in fiscal measures, right? They're great for the economy. Except that they crash the economy every time they're in office. No, no, but Republicans are great for national defense. Except that they send us to war every fucking time. And no, I'm not playing the card of Democrats don't do X or Y. They're not in power right now. Republicans are. 
when Democrats were in power and it was Obama fucking up, I was calling him out too. So let's call a spade a spade. That was a little racist, right? <laughs> right after I mentioned, sorry. Uh, let's call a spade a spade and realize that those in power right now who are controlling the fucking government right now are fucking it up beyond fucking belief and blaming the other party for it. Imagine that. And you know what they're going to do? Eventually, the other party's going to get into power. They're going to blame them then, too. It's pretty crazy. All right, let's do this next one. I, and for those of you who really don't want to hear politics and stuff, I try to, to pay, you know, just space out these types of articles and stuff from week to week. I don't want to inundate everyone every single time, and it may seem like I am. And to be fair, I probably am. Um, I'm trying. That's all I can do. I'm trying to space them out. All right, this is from the LA Times. Trump targets federal agencies' anti-racism training as anti-American. President Trump has directed the Office of Management and Budget to take aim at federal agencies' anti-racism training sessions, calling them divisive anti-American propaganda. OMB Director Russell Vogt, in a letter Friday to executive branch agencies, directed them to identify spending related to any training on critical racial theory, white privilege, or other material that teaches or suggests that the United States or any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. The memo comes as the nation has faced a reckoning this summer over racial injustice in policing and other spheres of American life. Trump has spent much of the summer defending the display in the Confederate battle flag and monuments of Civil War rebels from protesters seeking their removal in what he calls a culture war ahead of the November 3rd election. Meanwhile, he has rejected comments from Democratic nominee Joe Biden and others that there is systemic racism in policing, <laughs> policing and American culture that must be addressed. Uh, Vout's memo cites press reports as contributing to Trump's decision, apparently referring to segments on Fox News and other outlets that have stoked conservative outrage about the federal training. Vogt's memo says additional federal guidance on training sessions is forthcoming, maintaining that the president and his administration are fully committed to the fair and equal treatment of all individuals in the United States. The president has a proven track record, quote, of standing for those whose voice has long been ignored and who have failed to benefit from our country, from what our country has to offer. And he intends to continue to support all Americans, regardless of race, religion, or creed, he added. Quote, the divisive, false, and demeaning propaganda of the critical race theory movement is contrary to all we stand for as Americans and should have no place in the federal government. Okay. So when someone tells me that America is not inherently racist, after I'm finished laughing hysterically, I just point to history. We were founded under slavery of subjecting other human beings to gruesome and inhuman treatment in order to prop up a young American economy. It's just a fucking fact. When you look at when we actually 
supposedly made every human being equal, every ethnicity equal in this country, there were massive movements by conservatives in the South to subdue and remove those rights. And they pretty well successfully did for a very long time. When there was a movement to bring out equality again, they ended up murdering the man leading that movement. When you look at private prisons in America and the gross inequalities of ethnicities being incarcerated for life for crimes that some ethnicities get off on, how is that not racist? So then how can you say when racism is at the core at the beginning and a running vein throughout the history of America that America is not inherently racist? How can you say that? And yeah, we've got a Bill of Rights that says all men are created equal. We know that's a lie. But as an ideal, I think it's worth con uh, considering. I believe in equality of opportunity for sure. We know it's founded on a fucking lie. When African Americans were allowed to be considered for votes during the Constitution's founding, or acceptance, I should say, they were three-fifths of a man or less in counting. And then they couldn't even vote for themselves. Women could not vote. So let's stop pretending it's just males being dominated. Black women? Come on. Being treated worse than anyone else. Racism is alive and well in America. In our institutions. It's not something that goes away because it is something that is inherent to us as individuals. Now, I was talking earlier about who are you? We're a collection of experiences. Now, I don't think it's wrong to judge based on your own life experience, right? For example, uh, I've told this story before. Uh, walking in downtown Salt Lake, uh, next to, ironically, the Mormon temple downtown, me and my girlfriend, uh, who is... Uh, this pretty little white girl, uh, we're walking down the street with my young white cousin. It becomes important in a second. And we stopped by a large group of black kids. One of the girls makes a snide comment about my girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time made a snide comment back. And the entire group of kids started following us. And then they jumped us. Now, we ended up getting away, and no one was really worse for the wear. And to be fair... They, they just didn't really know how to fight, which is all the better because I didn't get my ass beat. Um, but the fact is, because of that experience, if I am surrounded by black men and women, I remember that. Now, I don't judge them on someone else's actions, but it is in the back of my fucking head because it's an experience that I had. I was jumped by a group of people because of my skin and my girlfriend's snide comments reacting to someone else's snide comments. That's the fact. So that's a trigger in my head. Now, it doesn't mean I go fucking attacking or running or screaming or hating people because of that experience, but that is a bias in my head that will always be there because it is a learned experience. And I don't fault anyone for those learned experiences. Just like I don't ever 
fault a black man who's assaulted by white men from having a bias against them white men. Of course you would. It is normal to have a bias and to prejudge a situation. That's how we survive as individuals. We take the most common experience that we have. This has always happened to me around these types of people. And then you apply it moving forward. Now, fortunately for me, I didn't get jumped again. And so it's not something that I hold on to with a great deal of excitement. I just move about my life and it's not a big fucking deal. But there are a lot of black men and women who are regularly demeaned and assaulted by white men and women. And so regularly find themselves holding a bias against them. There is a systemic problem in this country about white men primarily forming militias or gangs, as we should really call them, and attacking everyone that is not white or religious to whatever religion they identify with. White terrorism. That is a real thing. That is happening right now. That is what's murdering the majority of people in this country. So yeah, I'm going to have a bias towards that. It just makes fucking sense. Repeat patterns can be carried forward for averages into the future. So I think it's healthy to have biases. I think it's healthy to allow your experience to inform how you engage with the world after those experiences of the past. Because that's all you can do. And so if you've been taught your entire life that black people are less than human, then I understand why you would think that. That's what you were taught. That doesn't make it real. That doesn't make it true. It just means that that's how you see the world. And that's when we have to understand that perception is only nine-tenths of reality, not reality. We see things the way we are taught to see them or we've experienced and then see them. That doesn't mean that's the way they are. So when most of us think of terrorism, we think of Middle Eastern individuals hating America, right? But that's not reality. Not at all. They're going to affect you right now. Look like me, except speech, uh, speak about hate, about division. America's racist. It's always been racist because America's made of people and people have biases and are bigoted and are racist. Sometimes for good reason and sometimes for not good reasons. And it's not something that you can just wave a wand and get rid of. It's something that you have to work toward. And understanding that you only know what you've been taught and what you experience should give a little bit of perspective when you run across a bigot or you run across someone raging against a bigot. A little bit of perspective goes a long way. When I was in the military, we, it was just when women were being integrated into combat light, combat support positions, right? So I was in a, a cavalry unit, tanks, and uh, we, had, we didn't actually have any women in our unit, but there were women in the battalion, and so we had to have sensitivity training. There was a lot of arguing and fighting and complaining institutionally about having to have this training. 
But ultimately what it did was break our inherent perceptions about what we thought and taught us what reality was. So I don't expect federal agencies being forced to sit through classes in anti-racism is going to solve any individual racist's problems or change their perceptions. But it is going to shift the conversation a little bit. And it's going to help a little bit. And I do think it's incredibly important to have sensitivity type training because it's an opportunity for a human to gain perspective. You can't grow if you don't learn a little bit of perspective. And it's important to have that because without it, you can't really manipulate anyone. You have to see things a little bit through their eyes, what they want, what motivates them in order to change them. So, yes, America is racist in my opinion. Yes, it's because humans are racist and no, we're not gonna get rid of it. But we can ease it a bit and we can help it. I don't fool myself into thinking there's ever gonna be some utopia where there's no racism and no bigotry and everyone is equal because that's not a world I wanna live on. That's not reality, that's make-believe. That's like cartoon shit. Our world is full of bias. Some of it's justified, some of it not so much. But we've got to learn to live next to those that are biased towards us and vice versa. Um, uh, as Satanists, we aren't supposed to be ignorant. I agree, and that's why you have to have perspective. You learn. Um, America is racist, yes, and so is every single other nation, culture, religion, and individual on the planet. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you've been raised a mild sense of racism, but like white Latinas and Asian... I don't know what that means, but like them. Um, this is a very bad task. Take. Watch some live streams on the protests. Many are cheering the death of fascists and actively attempting to burn down public buildings. Again, Sean, when all you see in the media is that... And then you find out that that's only a small, small, single percentage of all other protests. You're buying into a false narrative. Yes, those things happen. And yes, they are problems. But that is not every fucking case. And it's not even a large portion of the cases. In fact, it's a very small portion of the cases. There are bad actors in every situation. I know asshole Satanists. I know asshole veterans. I know asshole everyone's. That's life. You can't get away from them all. And herd mentality sinks in when you're in herd environments. You do things sometimes that you wouldn't naturally do if you weren't in that herd environment. So that's why I avoid them. There wasn't racist talk in your household, but I do remember asking your grandfather why black people are black. He said, God burnt them. See, and in Mormon culture, um, they were called the Lamanites and God punished them. And that's where they were brown and dark. It's always one group trying to make an excuse why the other group is different. <laughs> That's it. That's what it, it comes down to tribalism. Survival tactics from an age which we don't need anymore. Not by and large. All right. Um, let's move on to a more positive subject. Let's do a little creature feature.
This video is going to be demonetized for a little while because I'm going to be showing this music video of the song Black Star from David Bowie's Black Star album. I will contest it because I'm going to talk over this video and talk about this album. So it turns the commentary. Uh, so if the feed shuts off, know that's what it was. It'll be turned back on later. Um, David Bowie's Black Star. This is the 25th and final studio album by English musician David Bowie. It was released worldwide on 8th January 2016, coinciding with Bowie's 69th birthday. It was largely recorded in secret between the Magic Shop and Human Worldwide Studios in New York City with Bowie's longtime co-producer, Tony Visconti, and a group of local jazz musicians comprising saxophonist Donnie McClacaslin, pianist Jason Lindner, Lindner bassist Tim Febriver, and drummer Mark Gugliani. Sorry. Uh, guitarist Ben Maunder joined the ensemble for the final session. Yeah. So... Stream is probably going to be blocked right now. Two days after its release, David Bowie died of living cancer. His illness had not been revealed to the public until then. Visconti described the album as Bowie's intended swan song and a parting gift for his fans before his death. The artwork for Black Star was designed by Jonathan Barnbrook. Black Star song, uh, this song you're listening to, is an art rock and jazz tronica song. Also described as an avant jazz sci-fi torture song. It features a drum and bass rhythm, two-note tonal melodies with hints of Gregorian chant, and shifting time signatures in the bluesy slow middle section. The song shifts from an acid house-ish groove to a languid R&B flavored interlude. The song was originally over 11 minutes long, but after that, uh, learning that iTunes would not post singles over 10 minutes in length, Bowie and Visconti edited it down to 9.57, making it Bowie's second longest track behind Station to Station. Bowie did not want to confuse listeners by releasing different singles and different album versions. Um, I got into Bowie late in life, uh, thanks to my wife. Actually, she's the one that got me into his music. Um, and this album, though she doesn't like it, I fell in love with as soon as I heard it. It is challenging um, to sit through. It is discordant. It is frustrating, especially knowing that he recorded all of this while battling cancer and ultimately died two days after releasing it for his fans. This was his swan song, and that puts extra power into it. He knew he was dying. He wanted to craft a signature piece for those who already loved him. This was it. This entire album is emotionally resonant. It just swallows you and forces you to experience something through someone else's eyes. Experience a reality of suffering and pain and excitement and experience. Understanding that you are going to end while still living in the moment while you can. And celebrating those things like the saxophone right here. The spark of life being shot out into the atmosphere. That is humanity. And that is what I love desperately about this album. There is an under layer 
of sorrow and pain, but no regret and acceptance of what is and what is to be, and only acting within those confines to create something truly original, truly magnificent, and genuinely powerful. This album brings me to tears every time I listen to it. It is incredible. You gotta be human. And that means you have to understand faults and inevitabilities in life. But that doesn't mean you wallow in them. You can still create something original and stunning that speaks to you as the creator, the artist. And it doesn't have to last through the ages. It can just last through a moment. And that should be enough. And that should be okay. Because at least you did something. At least you did that. You took initiative and made a mark. I don't think the most of the people in the world do. It's stunning. And I love it. And I just thought, with the topic today, I should present it. If you're not familiar with it, I implore you to sit through the entire album. Experience. Because this is a culture-shifting musician. Who altered and enriched a lot of individual lives. And there is an inherent power Because something is challenging, doesn't mean you should give it up. Because you don't necessarily like it in the moment, doesn't mean you should stop trying to understand or experience it. So, I'm going to shut that down because my feed has been turned off. <laughs> I'll fight it later and it'll get turned back on. Um, yeah, and you don't have to be, Kyle. And that's, and that's okay. If, you, if you're just not into Bowie, that's completely fine. Um, I would challenge anyone, however, to still sit through it and experience it. And you may find that though some things about him or about his music you don't enjoy, there are inevitably going to be moments that you probably do. And challenging yourself whether or not you end up enjoying it afterwards is less important as being able to deal with the discomfort of challenge because that's what life is right it's challenge um anyway dude under pressure was great chris oh my gosh that song that song is great I was introduced to that song um, in middle school uh, by this girl who really altered my entire view of sexuality um, uh, completely. She came to she came to school once, and again, middle school, in a full like black crushed velvet one piece. It was you know I, I guess like a onesie, but it was skin tight, crushed black velvet, and she shaved her entire body. 
So she had no hair on her entire body in this crushed black velvet suit. In Utah, we have something called seminary class. It's a Mormon thing. And so um, we were walking to seminary class and we were in there. And she, before the class started, she pulled out uh, tape, uh, which she had recorded um, under pressure on. And she played it for me. And she was talking about having this awkward sexual encounter uh, while she was on her period. And so she wasn't concerned about getting pregnant. And then as soon as the song ended, she leaned forward, licked my nose and walked away. And that was it. But that was enough to spark little Adam's like entire mind <laughs> going forward. That ignited something within me that I never thought of before. And, you know, be the strange you want to see in the world. That was what she embodied. And she introduced me uh, to that song. And I'll never forget that. It was it was stunning. Yeah, I, I figured they would shut it down. That's okay. I'll, I'll contest it and it'll be back up in a little bit. So, um... That's the show. That's all I got for you. We're at our a little over our hour mark because I started early, but what you gonna do? Eh, it's fun. Let's just have some fun. Yeah, yeah. Another one piles on. I don't know. They'll shut me down eventually. I don't fucking care. I'm just trying to have fun. Um, I hope you guys did. I really appreciate you guys coming in the chat room, whether you agree with me or not. I dig it. And I dig that you challenge me. And you don't always agree with me. I think that's important. Listen to things you don't always agree with. But if you happen to agree with me, well, you just go to sleep tonight knowing that you're right. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, people. Um, you're very much welcome for the stream, Leon. And thank you for joining. And of course, if you all enjoy what I'm doing or you want to support what this is for as long as these copy strike, copyright strike last, uh, you can always subscribe to the channel. Sign up to the email list and I'll let you know when I'm going to be on next and what I'm going to be talking about. Um, and of course, you can always become, you know, a member of the show and get some of the other live streams that I put out or uh, the daily thought vlogs or comment on some of the streams that I make member only commenting. Something to consider. It doesn't cost you a lot. And it's just a way of me uh, being able to make stickers and give them out as prizes. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> it's all for fun. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a fantastic week. And uh, I hope you have a good Labor Day. That's coming up, right? That's a thing tomorrow. So go to labor. Get in, get in labor. What do you celebrate on Labor Day? Not laboring? Shouldn't it be no Labor Day? I don't know. All right. I'll say it in everyone.